Thank you, Nick, for that prayer this morning, and I just want to say amen to everything that Nick prayed for. We do need to be praying for Craig and Shelley Schaefer and their family. This very, very important time for them. And we also really need to be praying for that whole situation in Turkey and parts of Syria. I didn't have a chance to look this morning. I was getting ready for the message this morning, but yesterday I, I saw that over 28,000 people had died in those two earthquakes that hit that area. And, and to me, I don't know about you, but that's just, it's just overwhelming. Just overwhelming. And I thank God for his word and that we serve a sovereign God who is powerful and we have to trust him. We trust him for our missionaries. We trust him for the circumstances often that we don't understand in this world. Well, I am on Sunday mornings teaching through the book of Habakkuk. It is in the Old Testament. Um, if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you a little time to find that little book. I'm doing six sermons, and this is the fourth sermon out of the book of Habakkuk. And this morning we're looking at chapter 2 and verses 9 through 20. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 9 through 20. And as I've done the last few weeks, I just want to jump right into the excuse me, outline this morning. And our first point is the second and third woes. Habakkuk is living in a very troubled time in history. There is sin within and sin without. Habakkuk, as a man who desires to worship and honor the Lord and to obey him, finds himself living in very, very troubled times. And I know that we, in many ways, are living in troubled times. But I want to say this morning that what Habakkuk was enduring is even worse than what we are going through. There was evil within. He is part of the southern kingdom of Judah. Their king at this time is Jehoiakim, and they have abandoned the Lord. They have strayed far from the Lord. The king and his ruling government are corrupt. The people in the kingdom are corrupt. Um, there is all kinds of violence. There is all kinds of immorality, and the poor and the needy are being oppressed. And Habakkuk looks around and he says, How long, O Lord, how long before you do something about all this? And then not only was there evil within, but there was evil without at this time, and it is approximately, give or take a few years, as I mentioned to you last week, it is approximately 605 B.C. The Babylonian Empire has risen up as the greatest power on earth. And oh my, was it powerful. Was it powerful? God describes it in chapter 1. God has raised up the Chaldeans, the people group, who live in the empire of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. And they are ruthlessly taking over the world the known world at that time. 
they are literally leveling towns and nations. Anyone who stands in their way. And Habakkuk stands as a man of God and says, so what do I do now? What does a man of God, what does a woman of God do when he or she lives in such times? I want to share a quote with you, a quote that probably many of you are already familiar with, but it just absolutely fits perfect with the book of Habakkuk. It comes from the Lord of the Rings series. It's from the first book. It's an exchange between Frodo and Gandalf. And if you're not familiar with a little bit of the background of this quote, Frodo has been given the great responsibility of being the bearer of the ring. He carries the ring. It is a ring that he has been appointed to carry. This ring has potential for great good. But if it falls into the wrong hands, it has potential for great evil. And because Frodo carries the ring, he has many enemies. And so I printed it in the bulletin for you to have. It's also going to be on the screen. And it says, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. That is exactly where Habakkuk is at right now in this book. He has to decide what to do with the time that has been given to him. And folks, as we are alive in this day and age, yes, there is evil in our world, evil in our country. But this is the time in the sovereignty of God that he has chosen for us to be born and for us to live. As it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, do not long for the former days. Do not wish that you lived in another era of history. This is your time. This is the time that God has given you. He has given you this time in history to trust him, to believe in him, to look to him. And all of us, all we have to decide is what we are going to do with the time that is given to us. Well, last week in chapter 2, in the first eight verses, God, for a second time in the book of Habakkuk, speaks to him. Habakkuk questions, God answers. Habakkuk questions, and God answers. And we learned last week that in the sovereignty and, in the sovereignty and providence of God, he has appointed a time for all things, including his judgment. God is going to judge the Babylonians, but he's going to do it in his time and in his way. And we saw last week that it is God's appointed time. And God says this. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk, I am in control. I am ruling. If it seems slow to you, you wait. You wait, for the day will come. 
He also tells Habakkuk, as we saw last week, that the righteous always have and always will live by faith. They will live by faith in the living God. It doesn't matter what the former days were, what our days are like, or what the future days are. Righteous men and women always live by faith in the living God, in obedience to his word. And so he says, one day, one day Babylon will be judged for all of its sins. And so last week we began to look at the five great woes that God declares in the book of Habakkuk. Very similar to the seven woes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 where he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And so God begins to pronounce these woes. And we looked at the first woe last week. And he says, woe to him who heaps up wealth and possessions at the expense of others. And God says to Babylon one day, it will all be turned upside down on you and those you plundered will plunder you. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning, verses 9 through 20. And first we'll look at the second and third woes. God will judge Babylon because it has become arrogant and violent. Look at verses 9 through 11 of Habakkuk chapter 2. God says, remember this is the Lord speaking to Habakkuk. Woe to him who who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to you who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high in his own mind to be safe from the reach of harm. The Babylonian Empire had become so arrogant. They built these fortified cities. The great capital of Babylon, it is said, had walls that were 100 feet high. They were so wide that chariots could travel around on top of the wall. And they thought they were invincible. They thought they were indestructible. No one could touch them. And they had homes on these walls, if you know anything about the ancient cities. And they would live in great luxury in these cities while their armies plundered people and violently killed and destroyed them. Some of you may know this, but in World War II, Adolf Hitler had what was called the Eagle's Nest at the height of the Third Reich. And it was this fabulous home that was built on a like a mountain cliff area that sat up way up high and Adolf Hitler and his army officers would go up there and drink tea it became known as the tea house they would go up there and they would laugh they go would go up there and they would boast as they thought about how they were going to conquer the entire world while all the while Millions upon millions of Jews 
were being slaughtered. God says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, which means many nations. You think you have fortified your life, but know this. Know this one day, the stones will cry out against you. The woodwork, the beams of the woodwork will respond against you. You will be judged. But not only were were they arrogant, but they were violent. Oh my, how they were violent. Look at the, excuse me, the third woe. Verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who builds an empire with blood. Who builds cities with sin. I want you to know, O Babylon, God says, I want you to know that the peoples of this earth, they labor merely for fire. The thought here is they build fires so they can have food, but one day those fires will destroy them, for Babylon will be destroyed by fire. Nations weary themselves. They weary themselves for nothing. Because all the things of this earth come to nothing. As it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then in verse 14, amazing verse. Right in the midst of these woes. In this third woe, all of a sudden God makes this great prophecy. He says, for the earth, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, know this, Babylon, and all man-made nations of this earth. One day Messiah will come. One day Messiah will come. Jesus will come. And the earth will The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. My guess is many of you here this morning have heard this verse before and maybe didn't even realize that it came from the book of Habakkuk. But it is this great verse of hope, this great verse of joy. Oh, one day, one day a righteous, good, pure ruler will come and he will rule from sea to sea, from shore to shore. He will rule the whole earth. It reminds us of that great hymn, This is My Father's World. In the third verse it says, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied, and earth and heaven shall be one. Wow. Praise God for that. Never forget. Never forget. Even though the the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. 
The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. And one day, earth and heaven will be one. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, our second point this morning is the fourth and fifth woes. God will judge Babylon because of its sexual immorality and idol worship. Look at verses 15 through 17. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will be, excuse me, will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. This fourth woe is very graphic and intended to be. You get your neighbors drunk. You make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. In Babylon, there was all kinds of sexual immorality beyond anything that we would feel comfortable even talking about. And God says you have filled, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory one day. All of this will shame you. Notice what it says at the end or in the middle of verse 16. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Again, pretty graphic language. It means one day you're going to be drunk and naked while your enemies conquer you. The cup, the cup, Almost always, the cup of the Lord refers to the wrath of God, the judgment of God. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon what is now your glory. Verse 17 is so interesting. It says, The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. Just north, of Israel was the nation of Lebanon. Lebanon was known primarily for one thing. It had these great forests, beautiful trees. And in these great forests of Lebanon were all kinds of animals, wild animals, beautiful animals. And according to history, when the Babylonians came and destroyed Lebanon and conquered Lebanon, they cut down all their forests and just wanton began to kill the animals right and left, just destroy these beautiful animals. And God says the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destructions of the beast that terrified them for the blood For you did it for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What you did to Lebanon will be brought back upon your own head. 
And then in verses 18 and 19, God says, Woe to you because you are idol worshipers. And they were. The Babylonians worshipped all kinds of statues, of wood, of gold, of other materials. They bowed down to them. They prayed to them. And in verses 18 and 19, it says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. How foolish. You worship an idol that you made with your own hands. You speak to an idol that is nothing more than wood or stone or gold or silver. How foolish. And we see this kind of warning throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, for those who worship idols. It's woe to you. Woe to you, Babylon, you idol worshipers. And at the end of verse 19, thus ends the five great woes of the Lord in the book of Habakkuk. But then there is verse 20. And folks, it is stunning. It is absolutely stunning. Verse 20 is crucial in the book of Habakkuk and says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So God announces these five great woes, these woes of judgment that are to come upon Babylon. And then he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Some translations simply have, Let all the earth be silent. Let every single person on earth Close their mouths and be silent. Strong language literally means shut up and listen. Because God, the holy, righteous, pure God of heaven and earth is in his holy temple. He is seated on the throne of his holy temple. Therefore, let all the earth keep silence before him. Throughout church history, some have used this verse as a call to worship. And I can understand why they have done that. But folks, verse 20 is not a call to worship. It is a call to judgment. It is a call to judgment. God is going to judge the great Babylonian empire. In 605 BC, it seemed, as I mentioned before, indestructible. A 
They seemed like a fortified empire that no one would ever defeat. But by 539 BC, the Medes and the Persians had completely our perspective, it was the Medes and the Persians who conquered the Babylonians, but ultimately it was the Lord God who conquered them. It was the Lord God who brought judgment upon them. And I want you to see this this morning in the whole context of the book of Habakkuk. God is saying to Habakkuk, at the end of these five woes, Habakkuk, I, I am going to thoroughly judge the greatest empire on earth. And I am going to do it in my time and in my way. I am seated in my holy temple. I am enthroned in the holy temple of heaven. Therefore, let all the earth be silent. Made me think of Psalm 33, 8. I love this verse. It's not on the screen. Just listen. Psalm 33, 8 says this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. As we come to verse 20. We are to be in awe of God. As you come to the end of chapter 2, you, in your own worship, to be in awe of God and what he has just announced. And know this, folks. Know this. God is going to destroy every earthly kingdom until the great kingdom of Christ comes. Every kingdom will rise up and every earthly kingdom will fall. As Isaiah the prophet tells us, God raises up kingdoms and he puts them down. But know this, know this, one day, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, may that day come. May that day come. Let's pray together. Father, we pray. As a congregation, we pray this morning, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of you. I pray that every person gathered with us this morning, that every person watching by live stream will stand in awe of you. You are ruling the entire universe in ways that are beyond us. Cause us, Father, cause us to be overwhelmed with your power overwhelmed with your greatness and overwhelmed with your glory. Let everything that has breath praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.